Well, good morning, everyone. Stand with me one more time. Now, here's the great thing, moms. I am not going to preach a condemning Mother's Day message today. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely. Nothing worse than a guy getting up here telling you how to be a mom, right? So we're not going to do that. I will say a couple of things real quickly here. I felt this last week, but I want to say to Tom and Felicia, happy second week anniversary, all right? Wave at us, guys. Uh, one of the highlights of my year uh, was to uh, do the vows with Tom and Felicia. I'm so excited with you. Listen, it was such a powerful service. Tom went into the hospital that night. So I don't know if that was the service. I don't know. But anyway, but man, we're glad to see you guys. Congratulations. Why don't you turn around, shake hands with two or three people. Just tell them your name. Wish them a happy Mother's Day or a happy day. And you may grab a seat. So good to have you guys here. We want to continue our series on how to make godly decisions. And listen, sometimes when you make a godly decision, it doesn't seem good right now. But ultimately, that decision that's godly will be a good decision ultimately. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. We see these words. And if you want to grab your, your notes out of your worship program, we have some notes there. Well, you can follow along with us. Romans 8 and 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And that word sons there um, in the Greek language means someone that you can identify as a son, not by birth, but by their characteristics. When you look at this son, he has the same characteristics of his father. So the one who is led by God's spirit has the same characteristics as his father. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about how to make godly decisions. And we've talked about uh, obstacles to God's guidance. We've talked about hindrances uh, to God's guidance. We talked the, a couple weeks ago about the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and how that the Holy Spirit does speak to us. He does direct us through an inner conviction. We talked about how that the inner conviction isn't enough. That just because you think God spoke to you, you want to get confirmation, and we get that confirmation through the scriptures. And so we talked about the principle of scriptural confirmation. And then last week, we spent at depth talking about godly counsel. And so when we feel that God is directing us and we have that conviction, we also want to look at the Bible to see does the Bible confirm or does the Bible reject what we think or feel. Let me pause here right now and say this, that godly counsel and the inner conviction that we feel should never contradict the written word of God. The written word of God, our Bible, trumps every feeling, every thought, every voice that we have. And so if I feel in my mind one way, but it contradicts the Bible, the written word of God always trumps what I feel. Godly counsel is the same way. Godly counsel is one of those instruments that God gives us to help us make godly decisions. And so today I, I want to talk about circumstantial evidence. And I want to spend an entire message on circumstantial evidence because many Christians and many people oftentimes 
put so much weight on circumstantial evidence that they put too much weight into it oftentimes. So I, I want to give us a speed bump here. I, I want to spend some time here to help us interpret circumstances and circumstantial evidence and just absolutely slow us down a little bit. You may leave today scratching your head and saying, well, that's about as clear as mud. You know, that's confusing. That's my point. I, I want you to look at circumstantial evidence and have it be a speed bump in the Walmart parking lot that slows you down a little bit, all right? And so oftentimes there are sure ways to jeopardize our lives. Let's use the illustration of a pilot for a moment. One of the surest ways for a pilot to jeopardize his flight is to ignore the instruments on his panel, the inner conviction, scriptural confirmation, godly counsel, and only fly by sight. Arguably, one of the procedures that pilots do to cause wrecks more than any other is to start flying by sight on approach to the runway and misjudge their position. One of the worst things you can do as a pilot when you land the airplane is to go back to this flying by sight. Obviously, sight has a piece to play it has a part to play, but it cannot be the only thing that we use when flying the plane. Same with our lives. Obviously, our senses have a part to play, but they cannot be the only instrument that we consult when we are seeking direction from God. Circumstantial evidence or circumstances God does use and he will use, but do not use that as the only means of making your decision. So let me define a circumstance for just a moment. The word circumstance comes from two words. It comes from the word circum, which means around, it means circle, and then stance, it means to stand. So circum, around, and stance, standing. So the word circumstance is those events that surround our lives. Circumstance are those events that are around our lives. And they concern the first, the, the five sentences. Circumstances are what you see, what you taste, what you touch, what you smell, and what you hear. If you can see it, it's likely a circumstance. If you can touch it, smell it, hear it, taste it, it's likely a circumstance. And so I want to give you five quick lessons on the role that circumstances, the events around our lives, and how they play into our decision-making process. Number one, God may work behind the scenes through circumstances. Circumstances are often the glove of God's invisible hand. I can't see God's hand, it's invisible. But I can see circumstances that surround my life. And sometimes these circumstances that surround my hand are the visible glove of the hand of God working in my life. In your notes, it talks about the book of Esther. I don't have the time to read you the entire book of Esther today, 
But the book of Esther is one of the only books in the Bible that never mentions God. Go back and read it. It never mentions God one time. And yet we see God's invisible hand working throughout the book of Esther. How does it work? Well, we see a man named Mordecai who's at the right place at the right time to get the right information, to put the right information in his niece's ear to save an entire nation from genocide. Now, how was he at the right place? At the right time. How did he hear over here the right conversation by the right people? And how did he get his niece in the right place at the right time? Well, it wasn't Mordecai. It was God's invisible hand working to shape those events to save a nation. Why did the king wake up at night? And can't sleep one night and have insomnia. Why did he say, listen, there's nothing good on TV. Hey, bring me the historical canons and start reading our Persian Mede national information to me. And how could it that the man walks in and begins to read at the exact place where it mentions Mordecai and how he saved the king? That is a circumstance, that's an event that God lined up, that God put in place at the right time so he could position his man at the right time to bring about God's purposes and stop genocide. Now, God does use circumstances in our lives to direct us. But I want to say again, it's one of the most highly subjective instruments. So we want to weigh it properly. Number two, so when we weigh it properly, we're going to say this, we want to avoid making decisions based on circumstances alone. And the key word there is alone. We look at the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit. We look at scriptural confirmation. We look at godly counsel. And then the next instrument is circumstantial evidence. Now, here's what happens if we're not careful. I will hear believers and unbelievers make this statement. They'll say, all of the doors were open, so I knew it was God. Or they'll say, well, all of the doors were closed, so I knew it wasn't God. And sometimes that may be true. Sometimes God may open a door, and sometimes God may close a door. But let me give you this illustration. When you choose to be on a diet, and you go to Krispy Kreme, and you find that empty parking spot in front of Krispy Kreme, did God open that door? And you'll say, yes, pastor, after I circled the 20th time, there was an open spot there, and God told me to break my diet. Now, we know it wasn't God. We know that you're tired of eating green stuff, and so you want some sugar. Now, the good news is this, sugar comes from a plant, so sugar is healthy. <laughs> we know that. All right. So just because a door opens, it doesn't mean it's God. And just because a door closes doesn't mean it's not God. It's subjective. 
One of the best illustrations I can give you is this, and I shall not mention names here because I'm not trying to make fun of anyone, but I'm trying to drive the point home so you get what's happening here. A number of years ago in the 1980s, there was a famous televangelist that had an affair with a woman, and it brought down his ministry. This woman began to cry out to God and ask God because she lost her job, she lost her name, and she was embarrassed, and she began to seek God for direction. The very next day after she was asking God for direction, a very famous pornographic magazine contacted her and offered to pay her X amount of dollars to pose nude in this pornographic magazine. And so here's what she said. She goes, I knew it was God. Because I asked God for direction, I had financial needs, and God opened this door, and she said, this was my miracle. And so based upon circumstantial evidence, she posed naked in this infamous uh, tablo or, or pornographic magazine. Now, we know that it's not God because God says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, not objects of lust. Just because a door opens doesn't mean he's the one you're supposed to marry. Just because he liked you on Snapchat, just because he liked you on Tinder doesn't mean he's the one. Amen, Pastor. Do you even know what Tinder is? I have no clue. All right. So let's go on. Paul had a door and when the door opened in northern Asia Minor, the Lord, even the door opened, would not allow him to go there. It was an open door. Jesus had an open door to him that would have avoided the cross. Satan said to him, Jesus, bow down and worship me, and you won't have to go through the pain of crucifixion. You can avoid pain just by worshiping me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. It was an open door. Sometimes a door opens, and it may be a good door, but it may not be a great door. And good is always the enemy of great. So when a door opens, pause and wait. And can I say this to you? When something is bad, when God calls you to go to some place like Pampa, Texas, you know it's God because nothing in you is going to tell you to go to Pampa, Texas. But when he says go to Maui, you got to pause a little longer. Why? Because your flesh wants to go there. So oftentimes when something is good, take time. It oftentimes is God. But just because it's good, it doesn't mean it is. Pause and wait and pray and take time. I oftentimes, when it comes to good things, take more time to pray about because everything within me always wants the easy way. And sometimes God does call us to go the easy way, and sometimes he calls us to be crucified. And sometimes he does calls, call us to do what is simple, and sometimes he says, no, give your life, Paul, you're going to lose your head. Now, this is not a popular message in America, but i got to share it to us because there are so many people on TV telling you that everything you serve God and you're going to be happy. You may serve God and it may get you crucified. Ouch, on Mother's Day, Pastor. <laughs> so just because a door opens doesn't mean it's God. 
And just because a door closes doesn't mean you should be pounding on that door. When Laura and I were dating, she broke up with me. I pounded on that door. Amen. I heard of a story of a pastor back in the 90s when I was preaching in Oklahoma City. And the guy, he was a pastor, he was a good man, and his house was burned down by fire. And so he overcame the fire. He had another house built. Three days after building that house in May 1990, one of the largest tornadoes ever on record hit Oklahoma City and wiped out his house. Here is how I heard the story. One of his congregants told me, will he ever get the news from God that he is supposed to resign the church and leave? obnoxious the house burned down a tornado took it out it must mean that God isn't in it he should resign his church how often do we think these things when it's good it's always God and when it's hard it's always the devil Sometimes you may be rebuking something that God has brought into your life to get you on right course. Let me give you an example. When God was dealing with Israel, he once brought the nation of Assyria in. He says, these are my rod of discipline to get them back on course. My dad often used the board of education, quote unquote, to get me back on course. Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. They were obedient. They got in the boat, and they began to go to the other side, and they went right into a storm. They did what God told them to do, and they went right into a storm. God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he went to Pharaoh, and what did Pharaoh say? He said, no way, Jose. In the Spanish translation? <laughs> no. And he went back again. He said no. And he went back again. And he said no. Sometimes when God, there's a door closed, sometimes it's difficult because God wants you to pers persevere. He said, seek, ask, and knock. It actually says, keep on knocking. For you Greek readers, keep on knocking, 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 knocking knocking. God often uses hard times in ways in our lives that good times don't develop us. The gym isn't fun. Lifting the weights isn't fun. Being on the treadmill isn't fun. Doing the crunches isn't fun. Doing burpees, I have never done a burpee in my life because it's not fun. But we know that hard times often develop character within us. I know this isn't popular to hear, but listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to encourage you. And often God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. We're concerned about our comfort. 
And yes, God is concerned about that as well. He loves you, absolutely. You know, I'm not calling God a sadist, or, and I'm not telling you to be a masochist. I'm not telling you to do that. However, I want to say this. God oftentimes develops our characters in things that aren't fun for us. And so sometimes a closed door he uses to make us wait and pray and seek his face. Number three, very closely related to this one. God may use events, circumstantial evidence, to get our attention. Sometimes they are an exclamation point. Danger, danger, danger. Warning, warning, Will Robinson. Lost in space, right there. Hey, wait. And in your outline, it talks about it. The book of Jonah. I can't read the entire book of Jonah, but have you ever gone back and read it? God told Jonah to go preach the gospel to a state that was an enemy of his nation, and he did not want to go because he did not want to be unnationalistic. And what happened? He went there, and he tried to avoid it, and what happened? God hurled the storm. Who sent the storm? God did. And so they throw him into the water. Who sent the big fish to swallow Jonah? God sent the fish. I think that's an event. I think that's a circumstance that says, Jonah, you're going the wrong way. And then after God spared the nation, we find him under a gourd. And he says, God, you know, I have this gourd. And the Bible says, God sent the worm. Wow. So God can use events to get our attention. And what the worm came and ate the gourd and the gourd withered. And now Jonah didn't have any shade over him. And now he's mad at God. And God says, you're more concerned about the gourd than you are an entire nation that didn't know me. So God will use events to get our attention. Look in your notes. Psalm 119, verse 67. The psalmist writes, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good to teach me your statues. Did you see that? He says, before I went astray, you afflicted me before I went astray, but now you allowed things to come into my life to teach me your word. And then he says, and you're good. And your ways are good. He is all powerful. He's all good. And he loves you. And God doesn't bring anything into your life that he hasn't first filtered through his love. God is not out to punish you. There is a difference between punishment and discipline. But he does get our attention. And he says, I was doing my own thing. And then God afflicted to get my attention. And he goes, now I keep your word. You're good. And what you do is good. I've said it before. Have you ever prayed a prayer that God told you no? And at the time, you were so mad. But you get a year, two years, five years, six months down the road, and you say, thank you, God, for saying no. Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Great theology right there. Sometimes I've had to thank God that what I wanted, he didn't give to me. 
that what I thought I wanted, he didn't give to me. And then he changed my heart and changed my mind. And the Bible says, if you acknowledge God, he will give you the desires of your heart. It means he will put the desire in you. He will put it there. Give. He will put the desires in you. Proverbs 20 and verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Psalm 119 and verse 71 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than, ten th than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I like the way the Living Bible says it. It says, It was the best thing that could have happened to me, for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. Negative events. Negative circumstances often turn a believer towards God. And negative events often turn a non-believer away from God. You heard what the psalmist said. He said, before, before I was afflicted, I did my own thing. But now I know your words. And now, he says, you're good. Listen, I don't understand it, but when God allows things to come into my life and then he walks me through it, I come away saying, God, you are so good. At the time, I may not see it. At the time, I may not like it. But when he gets done with what he's doing, hallelujah, you're quiet or I'm loud. Number four, God may use seemingly, in my notes, seemingly, that's what's in quotes, negative events to positively affect the lives of the unbeliever. My favorite example of this is the story of the lost son. The son tells his dad literally to drop dead dad, give me my inheritance, I'm going to go do my own thing. And what got his attention? The famine, the pig slop, losing his friends, losing his inheritance. And the Bible says these words, after he lost everything, he lost his friends. I mean, it was a great country and western song. He lost everything. And here's what happens. The Bible says, he came to himself. I will arise. I'm going to go back to the Father. Sometimes God will allow things to come into our lives that seem negative to actually work a positive in our lives. I've had it happen in my life. I've had it happen in my life. God can use the storms in the lives of the unrighteous to accomplish his purposes. There was an old preacher in England back in the 1800s. He called it the hounds of heaven. And how that God would just chase him down with the hounds. And he became one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. Number five. God may use seemingly negative events to positively affect the lives of the believer. Now I've got to pause here for just a moment because it's all about perspective. Say with me, perspective. The reason why I call it seemingly is this. 
It's because you and I do not have God omniscience. You and I don't see everything clearly. We see our lives subjectively. And the best illustration I can give to this, I've said it before, but I want to say it one more time. It's like I'm at the Rose Parade in Pasadena, California. And I got my chair out there, and I'm sitting there early in the morning, saving a spot. And as I sit there, I watch float after float come by. And I can see the petals and the seeds on these magnificent uh, 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 things. But I can only see one side of the float. And I can say, wow, that's pretty. And then here comes another one. Wow, that's pretty. That, that, that's, that's amazing. I can't believe they made that out of organic natural stuff. Wow. Saying it backwards. Wow. This is great. Upside down. Mom, you know, here it is. And I look at this thing. But what about the guy in the helicopter? He sees it from a point of view that I never see it from here. He sees where it has to go under the bridge. He sees where it needs to turn. He sees above. He sees the end and he sees the beginning. From start through all of the obstacles, there's palm trees there. they got to avoid this tight turn here. And they're calling the shots. Turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it. you got to turn it back here to get it. He sees it all. And from our perspective, it may look good. From our perspective, it may look bad. From our perspective, it may seem painful. But you've got a God that loves you. He is a father, and he is seeing everything from the start to the finish. He knows where your book began. He's writing the chapters of your life. And you might be in a seemingly bad a God who is writing your story. And ultimately, he is going to bring out good in your life. Here's what happens. I get stuck right here on my pay grade, my limited version, to all I can see. It goes back to that unanswered prayer thing. God, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And what do you say, Mom? You'll shoot your eye out with it. I'm so glad that my mom and dad, they were not perfect, but I'm so glad they had an ability to say no. Because there are some things that I did not need in my life. Look at Paul's trip to Rome. It's in your notes. And God may seemingly use negative events to positive affect the lives of the believer. Paul was going to Rome. And what happens? His, his boat sinks. That would be absolutely the worst thing that could ever happen in my life, I would think, to be on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean where there's big fish in there. His boat sank. He was shipwrecked, and what does he do? He goes over, he picks up some logs, he makes a fire, and a snake bites him. Was Paul out of the will of God? Paul was in the will of God. Was Paul a man of God? He was a man of God. Was he preaching the gospel? He's preaching the gospel, and yet his boat sank, he was shipwrecked, a snake bit him, and everyone looked at him and said, oh, this guy must be a blasphemer because God's going to kill him right now. Don't you love friends like that and acquaintances like that? When something bad happens, they say, well, you must not have named it and claimed it enough. 
Can I give you a word uh, 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 from one of the best theologians right now? Baloney. Baloney. They'll say, you didn't have enough faith. When my mother lost her first child and the child died, the Pentecostals told my mother, God killed your baby because of your sin. I still cringe. Another religious group told her, your baby will never see Jesus because you're not a part of our church. We read the story of Job, of these friends who, who give Job all of this advice. Can, can I say something here? This is not in the notes, but this is for someone. When someone is grieving and going through a hard time, sometimes the best thing we can do is sit there and say nothing and hug them and embrace them and say these words, I don't know. Because you and I see this. The Father sees it all, and what looks like is a setback here may actually be the best thing that's ever happened. What looks bad now may be the most pivotal thing in your life, and what looks good right now may not be good later on. We've got to come to this thing humbly and say, I don't know, I don't understand. And when someone is grieving, that's not the time to quote Bible verses at them. That's the time you make them dinner. That's the time you mow their lawn. That's the time you watch their kids and take them to Chuck E. Cheese or the park. That's the time you give them a cup of coffee and you sit there and you say, I don't know. But I want to share these things now because as we talk about them now, I want you to hear them in the times of good times because when bad things happen, people start thinking, well, I didn't do something right. We live in a fallen, broken world that when sin came into the world, it affected emotions and bodies and everything. And yes, Jesus Christ has come and he has begun to work. And yes, God still heals today and God does work. But sometimes people die and you did everything right and you prayed the prayer. Sometimes you prayed for your marriage to be saved and they still walked out and you named it and you claimed it and you blabbed it and you grabbed it and they still walked out and your heart broke and you're broken hearted and you've cried and you think you'll never laugh again or smile again or rejoice again. You will. Here's what happened. They looked at Paul and they said, Paul! You must have missed God. Your boat sank. The snake bit you. How did you tick God off this time? And instead, God set him up because when he lived and the serpent had no effect on him, he preached the gospel to the chief and the people. So what seemed like a detour on Paul's plan was always on God's agenda. And sometimes God will take you off the superhighway and he'll take you on one of these back West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, red dirt roads to get you where you're going. And you say, I don't know where you're going, but in the end, something productive and redemptive happened. And here's the problem, because we're in time, we don't always know when they happen. There are things that happen in your life that don't make sense, and you don't know why it's happening, and in this life, you may never understand. 
the life of Joseph. You know the story. We like the life of Joseph because we know how the story of Joseph ends. His brother sold him into, his brother sold him into slavery. His mom dies while he's in slavery, never sees his mother again. You don't get that back. His dad aged through the decades not knowing his dad. You don't get that back. And now he's, he's there and he's doing everything right and everything good. And that woman, you got to watch out for that woman, mom, on Mother's Day. Look out for that woman. She lied and said he made a pass. I'm being sarcastic, please. I'm teasing. You guys are too quiet. I'm trying to lighten you up a little bit here. All right. And so the woman says, oh, he tried to sleep with me. No, he did not. She tried to sleep with him. So her husband didn't like it too much, throws him into jail. We love the story because we know how it ends. You're Joseph. You don't know if you're going to rot in the prison or not. You don't have email. You don't have Twitter. You don't have text. You can't keep, you've lost your mother, you've lost your father, and now you're in a prison, and God, where are you? There's a verse that says in the middle of it, Mike, but the Lord was with Joseph. I do not want to go through success without him. I can have success without him. I don't want it. But I tell you what, to walk through a storm and him be there. There's no price for that. Thank you. And so here's what happens. The Lord was with him. And all of these detours came back around. And Joseph lived to see what God was doing. And here's what he said. Look at these words, famous words. He said, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. This looks evil, but God meant good. I don't like how it looks, but God meant good. I don't understand it. My perspective says this is bad. I'm in jail. I'm here. But God is up here, and he is orchestrating, and he is moving, and he is directing. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so do not fear. How could Joseph tell his brothers that he is now in a place of prosperity? He's now been promoted. He is now a prince in Egypt. How can he tell his brothers, do not fear? Why does that come out of him? Because I'm going to tell you, for 30-some years of his life, he preached it to himself, God is with me. Do not fear. Do not fear. She lied. Do not fear. They have sold me into slavery. Do not fear. Just keep doing and being what God's called you to do and live this life. I had a dream. I don't know what's happened to it. Do not fear. And he served God. And what happened? Because Joseph continued to serve God. We know his story, and he knows the end of it. Sometimes you don't know the end of it. He knew the story, and God saved him. And because God saved him, he saved you. 
because Joseph saved the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and lived and died a death that I should have died. And because Joseph went through all of this, God positioned him, got him where he needed to be so that he could save the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes upon him shall not perish but have everlasting life. My time is up and I'm going to close it down here. But I want to say this to you. I have thrown a lot at you. If it has come across as negative, that is not my intent at all. If you know me, I'm a positive person. I have a positive outlook on life. But I needed to go here to address some of the overarching opinions that just had this idea, if the door is closed, it's not God. If it's open, it's God. I wanted to give you a speed bump to pause and to slow down and to seek godly counsel. Look at the scriptures, pray over it, and then look at the event. Is this an event we rebuke? Is this an event that we knock the door down? Or is it an event that we stop and we wait for him to open another door? I can say this to you in my life and Laura's life. Oftentimes, when it has come to the ministry, our experience has not been closed doors in ministry. Our experience has been, this door is opened, this door is opened, this door is opened, this door is opened, and this door is open. Do we go to Oregon? Do we go to Arkansas? Do we go to Raleigh, North Carolina? Where do we go? Open doors. You have to wait till you know he's opened the door. So use the voice of the Spirit. Use the scriptural collaboration. Use godly counsel. And don't make decisions on circumstances alone because they're subjective. Will you stand with me today? Amen. Amen. The best decision you can make is this. You can ask Jesus Christ to come be the Savior of your life. No other decision matters after that one there. Meaning, you know... We want to settle the question of who, who is the Lord of our lives? Who's the Savior of our life? Jesus Christ. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're walking that through. I'm not going to power press you, make you raise your hand and walk down front. But the best decision you can make is, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Be the Savior of my life. Come be the director of my life. And the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon his name. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask Jesus to transform your life. Ask Jesus to be the director, not be the co-pilot, but be the director of your life. And do not fear. Amen. Father, thank you so much for these people here. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for our guests. Thank you for our first-timers, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for your word that sometimes pricks us. Thank you that you speak to us and you direct us. Thank you, Lord, that you see a part that we do not see. And we trust you 
and we look to you and we say, Father, our lives are yours. Tell us when to go. Tell us when to go slow. Tell us woe and no. But direct us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five as Laura comes. Hallelujah.